Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Friday, May 27th. You're probably already thinking about the weekend, and I hope you'll have a great time doing whatever and going wherever. But don't forget to take one important thing with you, sunscreen. Today is actually National Sunscreen Day, designed to remind everyone to make sure you're protecting your skin as summer approaches. Remember, doctors say there's no safe amount of suntan that won't have the potential to damage your skin. I have red hair and fair skin, so I wear sunscreen every day. You should take care of yourself as well. And speaking of that weather, let's head over to the First Alert Weather Center to get your weekend forecast. And good Friday morning to you. I'm meteorologist Joey Sovine. Keeping an eye on showers and thunderstorms as you head out the door this morning. Make sure you grab the umbrellas. It will be a day where we have rain chance really at any time. Highest rain chance this morning and through about middle of the afternoon. After that, as we go toward the evening, rain chance will come down. Still a few showers and storms. Any of the storms today could be on the strong side. Could contain some heavy rain along with some gusty winds. So we'll be keeping a close eye on that. A cold front comes through tonight. Rain out of the forecast then as we head into Saturday and Sunday. Highs in the upper 80s, just a small chance of a shower thunderstorm on Memorial Day, high around 90 degrees. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast, powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. Aisha Tyler and Michael Higdon have your morning headlines. In Washington, lawmakers remain in partisan gridlock over what can be done to prevent another school shooting. Meanwhile, at the local level, school officials have reignited the debate over the use of school resource officers. Scott McFarland has more. A week already marked by tragedy continues with investigations of new alleged threats foiled against schools in Maryland and Ohio. With Congress paralyzed over new gun control laws, some schools have stopped waiting. The superintendent of Millville, New Jersey, has been installing cameras, panic alarms, and locks. We had to put time and energy into the human behavior of making sure the school uh, is secure for our kids and for our staff. CBS News has learned U.S. schools have spent 150 million federal dollars since 2018 for so-called school hardening, including in Logan County, West Virginia. We have over 100 cameras either inside or outside of Chapmanville Regional High School. But even senators who've helped pursue this grant money question if it's a solution. So we're going to build bunkers and castles for our children. And, and does that solve this problem? States have also expanded the use of armed school resource officers, a trend that surged nationwide after the 2012 Sandy Hook tragedy. So what's the role? Are they a shield for the school or are they the tool to keep kids from turning to violence? They have to go from officer friendly where they're off there greeting students when they get out of their carpool lines or greeting students when they get off the buses in the mornings to, you know, there's an intruder in the school. I've got to react now. But some of America's largest school districts recently removed the officers from buildings amid calls for police reform. There may be schools saying we need to get a lot more officers really fast. You don't think that is the solution? Absolutely not. There is an actual way in which we can do both. Ensure that our kids are safe while at the same time not over-policing and over-hardening our schools. Hundreds of U.S. school systems will apply this year for those federal school security grants. But it's worth noting Uvalde, Texas doubled its school security funding in recent years. It has its own police department. And, tragically, that wasn't enough. Scott McFarland, CBS News, Washington. 
Well, South Carolina's top federal prosecutor is now taking a ramped up approach to hold more violent offenders accountable for gun crimes. It involves putting more people on the list to qualify for federal prosecution for gun crimes over which the federal government has jurisdiction. In the past, the U.S. Attorney's Office has elected to prosecute gun crimes at the federal level when the defendant had at least two violent crimes or serious drug offenses on their record. U.S. Attorney Corey Ellis says that they've realized these criteria do not apply to a lot of the state's most violent offenders. The crime has evolved, and it's evolved such that we have younger and younger individuals who are our trigger pullers. We hope that by leveling, raising the level of awareness that we not only deter those who would be trigger pullers, as we call them, um, but that we wind up disrupting them through these efforts. Now his office is focusing on these offenders, including those with domestic violence convictions, have ties to gang activity or traffic firearms. As part of this new strategy, Ellis is meeting with state and local law enforcement in different parts of South Carolina in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, Representative James Clyburn said in part, quote, it's time they end their obstruction so that these bills can be considered. I remain committed to making our community safer and ending the gun violence epidemic in this country. The president and first lady will be visiting Uvalde, Texas next week to meet with the families of the victims of Tuesday's mass shooting. The White House announced the planned trip yesterday and they say President Biden and Dr. Jill Biden will focus on supporting the community, grieving the loss of 21 lives in the elementary school massacre, not on the police investigation. It is, all, it is always a good idea to look back and try to find any lessons we can learn, uh, especially from trage tragedies like this, so that we can prevent them from moving forward, including uh, law enforcement response. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will be in Texas Sunday. They also plan to meet with religious leaders and other members of the Uvalde community. We're now getting a look at the man officials with the North Charleston Police Department say robbed a business and shot and killed an employee there. Officers say it happened at Mattress Deals on Rivers Avenue just before 10 o'clock yesterday morning. Now officials with the Charleston County Coroner's Office say Richard Rivera was the employee who was killed. At the scene, police say they saw a shell casing and telephone on the floor and officers found that victim lying under a desk. Anyone with information is asked to call the North Charleston Police Department or Crime Stoppers, you can remain anonymous. As police investigate that shooting, a man wanted for a shooting earlier this week has been arrested. According to North Charleston Police, Corey White has been charged after a person suffering from a gunshot wound was found dead in a motel room on Rivers Avenue Monday afternoon. White is charged with murder and possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. The Charleston County Coroner has identified that victim as 47-year-old Kashan Hightower and says he died from a gunshot shot wound. Two of the uh, defendants in the Los Bandidos drug ring bust have had their bond decided. They're accused of trafficking drugs out of an upstate restaurant and food truck. The defendants, who appeared in bond court yesterday, were Isidoro Zavala-Gonzalez and Bartolo Zavala-Gonzalez. Those brothers were the owners of Los Primos restaurant, where much of the drug ring activity allegedly took place. Isidro was denied bond, while Bartolo had his bond set at $150,000 with the conditions that he surrender his passport and go under house arrest with GPS monitoring. 
After 52 years of working in education, today is Dorchester District 2 Superintendent Joe Pye's last day of school. All week, schools have been celebrating his contributions to the district. Melissa Rademacher takes a look back over his career. Pye started as a teacher, worked his way to principal, and eventually superintendent. When he was first offered the top job, he actually turned it down, saying he would miss the day-to-day -day interactions with the kids. But he eventually did take on the role and says he hasn't regretted it. Pye says his goal has always been to keep teachers and students excited about learning while making sure they are prepared for anything they want to accomplish in life. He says he's ready to step down but will miss the work dearly. Every job I've had, I felt like I made a difference. Every job I felt like I was needed and wanted to be there. And I had such passion that I hated for Fridays to come around. Like most people can't wait to Friday so they can take the day off. I hated Fridays because I couldn't get all my work done. Pye's legacy continues on in the elementary school named after him. Dr. Shane Robbins will take over as superintendent, while Dr. Brenda Hafner will be the deputy superintendent. In the newsroom, Melissa Rademacher, Live 5 News. It's the start of the Piccolo Spoleto Festival, and artists of all kinds will showcase their work all over Charleston. Lauren Quinlan joining us live at Marion Square, where the outdoor art ex exhibition is held. And Lauren, you got to speak with some of the artists as they were setting up. What are they looking forward to the most this year? I spoke with a few artists who first say they work all year to showcase their art at this festival, and many of them are just excited to see their fellow artists doing what they love. Piccolo Spoleto is 16 days of events from South Carolina artists that range from theater to musicians and visual artists. The Piccolo Spoleto Outdoor Art Exhibit is one of those events located in the heart of downtown Charleston. Marion Square will be filled with over 60 artists. Some have been around since the start in 1979 and others with just a few years under their belts. Joyce Harvey, a sixth-year Piccolo Spoleto artist, says this is a very competitive show to get into, but the community of artists have grown a strong bond with each other and the community. This park is filled with kids and it is so fun to watch kids experience art. I mean, I've seen two-year-olds in strollers have a visceral reaction to a painting on the wall and they come in and they talk and they ask questions and it's just really fun to see families choose a piece of art together. Stephen Hyatt has been a part of the exhibit for the last 10 years and says he gets inspired and learns so much from other artists. From an art standpoint, a life standpoint, you, you learn a lot from, uh, from other people in general. So being around other creatives can only, only lead to that. Artists will be out in the park seven days a week, rain or shine, for the next 16 days. The exhibit opens at 10 a.m. every day and closes 5 p.m. on weekdays and 6 p.m. on the weekends. For more information on featured artists, click on this story on Live5News.com. Reporting in Charleston, Lauren Quinlan, Live 5 News. On this date in 1937, the iconic Golden Gate Bridge opened to foot traffic. It would open to vehicles the following day. Celebrating a birthday today, actress Lee Merriweather is 87, comedian Adam Carolla is 58, TV chef Jamie Oliver turns 47, and U.S. Olympic gold medal winning gymnast Jade Carey is 22. One more birthday today worth mentioning, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster is 75 today. We're so glad you started your day with morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you Monday. Morning Y'all is produced every weekday morning. 
Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.